looking back, I don't know if I would be in real estate today if it wasn't for his mentorship. I had that first little taste of it, but I don't think that I would have actually gone and done anything with that. I, I wanted to, I just didn't know where to really plug that energy into. And so that truly was a game changer for me. And, and I, again, looking back and, and seeing how we kind of handled that mentor-mentee relationship, I think that is absolutely critical for anyone that's getting started. I mean, go find that individual that's already doing what it is you want to do. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Most of us, if not all of us, have heard horror stories about the 2008 recession, right? And what happened. Uh, Many of us don't really understand maybe what actually happened and, and how that compares to today. Our guest today, and he had a real estate business and it was growing, it was thriving. And then 2008 happened and the worst happened to him. He's going to walk through that. And he's so transparent about it. I'm so grateful to our guest today, Kevin Bupp. Uh, He's going to tell you about how he got started in this business, even how he found this mentor and about their relationship. I feel it's so beneficial to any of us uh, that are getting started. But even as you grow in this space, he's going to tell you even about some different asset classes, a deal, an example deal that he's going to walk through that was very beneficial as well. He did such a good job at that. But then also just being real about the crash of 2008. How how that affected him and how he's looking at deals differently now and how he's been conservative. But what does that actually mean? We hear a lot of people say that. What does that really look like when you're underwriting a deal to be conservative? Uh, and he's going to walk us through that. Many of you may have heard of Kevin before. He is a founder and CEO of Sunrise Capital Investors, which invests in mobile home parks, parking lots, apartments, offices, and single family homes across the U.S. He has 16 years of experience educating investors to locate, wire, and create higher than average returns widely misunderstood mobile home park investing niche. He shares his expertise through the Mobile Home Academy and also as a host of the Real Estate Investing for Cash Flow podcast, which has become one of the hottest real estate podcasts on iTunes. Kevin shares many things today. And also I'll go ahead and share with you, uh, he has a new book coming out and you can find that on Amazon, of course, but you can find it for free. He said at kevinbutt.com forward slash free book. You're going to learn a lot from Kevin today. Kevin, welcome to the show. Honored to have you on. I know you have become a, I mean, an expert in mobile home parks, parking lots, build to rent projects, numerous things uh, in our space. Uh, looking forward to the discussion. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, Whitney, thanks for having me. It's always good to see you, my friend. Kevin, give us a little bit about, you know, maybe your backstory. I know you've been doing this a long time and I mean, you're so experienced. And so tell the listeners a little bit about that and let's jump into some of your expertise and some of the asset classes that you you focus on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, thanks for have me here and um, I'll try to keep this somewhat short. So I, you know, I've been a full-time investor for more than two decades now. I, I always joke and say that real estate kind of found me. Um, I necessarily wasn't looking for it, but it came along at the right point in my life. I was introduced to it at the age of 19, bought my first property at the age of 20 and really fell underneath the wing of who became my first mentor. He happened to be dating my girlfriend's mother at the time, just kind of a random, you know, random story. And uh, he was a local real estate investor where I grew up, Whitney. Looking back, I guess you could say in the grand scheme of things, so he didn't own you know, thousands of units. He had, you know, I think roughly 40 units in total, 40 doors in total, but that was a big deal to me. And he lived a very different lifestyle than what I lived growing up and seemingly had a lot of flexibility and a lot of time in his schedule, drove a really nice car. Again, was kind of around during the day hours when, you know, my parents were working. So it was really odd to me. Now, fast forward, we know that being a successful entrepreneur gives you some of that flexibility that you might not have when you're in the W-2 grind. So anyway, you know, I started buying when I was 20 years old. Uh, It was initially just following his plan, his model, which was single family. His was single family holds. Okay. So I, I didn't want to reinvent the wheel, but what I found out really 
really quickly was that you know I had seven thousand dollars. I made that money bartending. I attended bar in the evenings, went to school during the day, and then on my off hours, I basically was working for him for free around him as much as possible. And then you know it took me about a year to buy my first property. When I brought the first property, I used all that seven thousand dollars and used a private lender relationship that David had introduced me to. But I realized very quickly that a couple hundred dollars a month of positive cash flow was going to take me a really really long time to buy the second property. And so literally less than a year into it, it was, I think it was about seven months. I actually sold that property. You know, sold that property, made a profit on it, and then really converted my model to more of a wholesale two, three properties and then keep one. Wholesale two, three, keep one. And then it got down to wholesale one or two. I got it to where I had actual working capital and money to redeploy into new assets so that I could build an actual portfolio and not have to take 20 years to acquire 10 properties. And so I did that for many years. Um, I did that for you know roughly, I guess, leading up to 2008. I focused on single family. I ended up acquiring about 130 single family rental properties in my portfolio and a few hundred smaller multifamily properties. I felt like I was doing quite well in my early to mid 20s. And then you know that led us into 2008. And I was down here in Florida at the time. I, I started in Pennsylvania, moved down here when I was in my early 20s and got absolutely crushed during 2008. It was a, a very, very different type of recession than what we're kind of rolling into right now. Florida was a very different economy than what it is today. It's much more diverse in nature. Back then, it was you know, heavily geared towards the construction industry. Lots of jobs revolved around construction. There was a lot of uh, excess building happening, lots of rooftops for populations that weren't here. And so that had detrimental effects when the music really stopped. And so fast forward a couple of years after the recession, I was introduced to mobile home parks just by happenstance, like these things all you know, usually happen. And so intrigued by the business model that I again kind of committed that as I went through this rebuilding phase of rebuilding what I had lost, that I was going to do with mobile home parks. And so I went out and bought, it took me about a year to buy the first park after you know my initial introduction to them. And uh, that was in 2012. I, I bought that property up in Atlanta. In fact, I just sold it a little over a year. We owned it quite some time. That went really well. And bought the second, bought the third, bought the fourth. The story goes on. You know, we ultimately started syndicating about, I guess it's been about six or seven years ago. Started actually pulling cap one from outside sources after we kind of ran out of our own. And we now we own uh, communities in, you know, Northeast, Southeast, and the Midwest amongst 13 different states. And then aside from mobile home parks, we've ventured into a few other endeavors as well over the last couple of years, one being parking. And so parking lots and parking garages. And then the most recent initiative is uh, a few built to rent projects in the Phoenix marketplace. And so, again, just high level view of kind of the last. 20 years of my life, but everything has revolved outside of a few other side businesses. Pretty much everything has revolved around being a real estate investor. That's incredible. I, I didn't know parts of that story about you. And that's awesome. I mean, first property at 20 years old, it's interesting. You found this mentor and it was attractive to you. The way he could live, that was so much different than you or maybe your parents or what you had witnessed growing up. But you also mentioned that you worked for him for free for a while. Was that beneficial for you? Was that a, a great time, I mean, of education? Or do you feel like that helped you to push forward in a big way? Or how would you talk to yourself now? You know, now you know what you know. If you had to go back and say, hey, Kevin, you need to do this. I'll give a little bit more of the background, the story of how that relationship kind of uh, came together. I'd see him over at my girlfriend's mother's house quite often. And we just became friends. And ultimately, within a couple of months, and I don't know what it was. I had never even asked him this question. I probably should have. But like, maybe he saw like kind of a floundering. Like, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Like, literally, I was going... To taking classes, general classes, not really working toward any particular degree at that time. I was going to community college and I was attending bar in the evenings. I was saving my money. Like I felt like I I was a fairly responsible 19 year old. Like, you know, I straight like an arrow, but I just didn't know where that arrow was flying to. And so maybe, and again, I, I should go back and ask him this question, but at some point he invited me to a real estate boot camp down in Philadelphia. I mean, again, I'd known him for a few months. Him and his business partner had bought tickets to this real estate boot camp, and his partner couldn't go. So he's like, hey, he's like, don't know what you got going on this particular weekend. He's like, but I've got 
a three-day boot camp that I paid like $5,000 to go to down in Philadelphia. Would you like to attend? I know that you're going to school, but this could be something of interest to you, right? Like this is basically in alignment with what I do for work, you know, whether or not you have an interest in that. And I'm like thinking to myself, that's kind of random that he invited me, but heck, $5,000 he paid for this. He's offering, you know, for me to go with him. Yes, yes, I will go, right? And so I went to this conference and I was overwhelmed. I mean, this was all new. I'd never even read a book. I mean, he gave me some like resources before we went and said, hey, like try to read up on this, learn a little bit before we go there, learn some terminology and things like that. In fact, it wasn't really books. He gave me like cassette tapes. That was way back in the day, you know, cassette tapes and uh, CDs and things like that. I went to this conference and I met a lot of people there. There was a few hundred people there. And I met a number of people that were doing, to me, were huge things, you know, people that were, you know, wholesaling 15, 20 homes a year, you know, not, and now I know guys that do hundreds and hundreds of them a year, but right. But these people were making five, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollar assignment fees and they were doing 200,000 plus dollars. And to me, that, that was just such a massive mountain to climb. But these people seemed like just normal people. They didn't seem like they're any smarter than I. They just had a little bit more education and, and knowledge than I did in that particular topic. And so I left that boot camp just excited. I mean, you know, whenever you go to a conference, I mean, especially when you start you see new ideas and you, you learn a new angle on something. You're just excited and you're anxious. And, and I left there with all those feelings. But what I knew was going to happen more than likely is if I didn't find a way to apply just some of the basics, just a, you know, a fraction of the techniques that I learned, do something with it. I was just going to go back to the normal, going back to school, tending bar, and, and most of it would just would vanish. You know, And anything I learned, it would just vanish. And so I didn't know where to start though. I mean, it was overwhelming to me. And so I basically went to him and I was able to observe him in his business over a couple of months of knowing him. And I realized that he had a few key weaknesses in his business, things that frustrated the heck out of him. And one of the big ones that frustrated him was technology. I mean, the guy, like he just struggled on the computer. He struggled with just even simple things like emails. And I saw him put together a PowerPoint one day for one of his private lenders on, I guess, like this a duplex that he was buying. And it literally took him three days to put together probably the worst PowerPoint presentations I've ever seen in my life. I mean, it was horrific. It looked like a two-year-old did it, right? And so I basically presented to him, hey, let me help you in your business. I think there's areas that I can help you become more efficient. All I ask that is in turn, let me hang around. I mean, I'll literally, I'll help your day along on the areas where you get bogged down. Maybe it's dropping off a lease. Maybe it's, I don't know, running home deep, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Let me help you. Technology was a big piece of it. In turn, just please let me, let me hear how you talk to people. Let me learn what it is you really do. And ultimately a great friendship was formed there. And, um, and I shouted him for like 14 months. I got to meet his private lenders, you know, go have lunches with them. And we'd meet with other investors. Like he was part of like this little, we didn't have any investment clubs in where I grew up, but he had a lot of like other friends that were local real estate investors. So I got to meet them. I got to hear them talk about all the good, the bad, the ugly of, uh, of being a landlord and just all those incredibly critical and important things as you enter into that business. And so looking back, I don't know if I would be in real estate today if it wasn't for his mentorship. I had that first little taste of it. But I don't think that I would have actually gone and done anything with that. I, I wanted to. I just didn't know where to really plug that energy into. And so that truly was a game changer for me. And, and I, again, looking back and, and seeing how we kind of handled that mentor-mentee relationship, I think that is absolutely critical for anyone that's getting started. I mean, go find that individual that's already doing what it is you want to do. And I guarantee there's a skill set that you hold, whatever it might be. I don't know. There's a skill set, something that you're good at, they might not be all that great at to where you might be able to add value to them, bring 
bring value to their business and, and help them grow or help them gain some efficiencies. And in exchange for that, you'll learn something along the way. You'll be able to ask questions to someone that's been there. They've done that. They've made the mistakes. You know, they've been through the ringer many times over again. And so, yeah, Whitney, it was a, it was a great experience. And I've had many other mentors along the way, but that one right there was the critical step in my professional career. I appreciate you just elaborating on that because I feel like often we're not willing to go seek somebody out like that or offer to work for free or be with that person, right? But but you really took the time to figure out some frustrations. And it's a great place to focus when you're trying to help somebody, right? It's around some frustrations, just tech and even just running errands for them. And what a prime time for you to do it when you were 20, you know, around that time or younger, maybe, uh, you know, it's just prime time. So I just appreciate you elaborating on that. I want to talk a little more about your experience, 2008, some of that, and then compared to what's happening now and, and even coming through that. But I want to save that for a few minutes. Uh, and, and I want us to dive into some of the asset classes that you got into. And then, uh, but then in a moment, just so a listener knows, I want us to talk a little more about what your outlook is, obviously, and just the treasury interest rates some things that are happening, some basic fundamentals that you've learned that you've stuck to. And from this experience, you know, that you had, obviously, I'm sure as well, that that shaped many of those things from 2008. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about why you picked switching from, say, the single family home plan to the mobile home park plan, or, or and then even to, I know you're in parking lots as well. And, and uh, speak to that asset class a little bit and why you got laser focused on that. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and uh, just to clarify, before the crash happened, my main focus was single family. That's kind of what I built the business around. But you're leading up into the crash about three years prior, I, I had a few partnerships in a number of multifamily properties and the largest one being like 72 units. So these weren't you know, massive 300 unit complexes. You know, a lot of them were like 12 and 18 unit communities. And what I realized, again, just timing was fairly bad. But what I realized when I compared the operations, because like, we had the property management in-house, I partnered with another group that had a fairly large property management infrastructure. Prior to that, I had done it myself until I just literally was about to pull my hair out. I had about 30 properties. I was like, you know, it just didn't make sense anymore. And, and ultimately, I ended up using a third-party management for a short period and then just partnered with a group that had a larger infrastructure. But long story short, I saw a lot of inefficiencies that existed in my single family stuff that were spread out literally amongst five counties than that of what existed in these apartment complexes. Even, you know, even the 12 and 18 units just ran much more efficiently than that of the 12 or 18 scattered single family properties. And so, you know, then in 2008 came and, you know, we had a lot of the debt that we had on like even the multifamily properties was five-year commercial loans. And a lot of that stuff reset at the wrong time. And a lot of banks, you know, they need to get these things off their balance sheets. And we didn't ever lose money. We didn't make money. A lot of the multifamily stuff, we were able to fire sale and, and sell it at the wrong time. It's just, we couldn't get new debt put in place. A lot of the single family properties, we had challenges holding on to. A lot of the banks weren't willing to work with us. They didn't have loss mitigation departments set up at that point in time. It took them over a year to really get their act together, about a year and a half for banks to really build that side of their business to where they could help with loan modifications and short sales and things of that nature. So, but anyway, long story short, when I was ready to rebuild, it took me a couple of years. I, I took a couple of years, not necessarily off, but it was like damage control. And you know, looking back, it made me a, a much different person. It just uh, it allowed me to focus on health and things that I could control in my life because I felt like that side of my, my world was out of control. But three years of just dealing with damage control. And then I was ready in about 2011, that fire never really went out. The flame never went out, the real estate flame. And I was really ready to kind of get back and, and rebuild what I had lost. And I kind of went on a mission to interview and talk to as many people as possible that that were now back in the real estate game, or maybe I never left it, but you know the landscape was different. 2011 landscape looked very different than what it did in 2007, 2008. And you know along that path, what I found is that multifamily is going to be the most efficient way for me to rebuild this. Like I didn't want to deal with the single family stuff again. Plus, I had met a girl who now became my wife. I, I really wanted to like focus on building a family. 
family. And I just knew that I could much easier buy 120 multifamily doors than out of 120 single family properties. And so multifamily was going to be it. I'd already made up my mind. And then one of my good friends said, Hey, you need to go meet Randy. Randy's a, he's been a banker for 30 years. He landed on a lot of multifamily, but he's also, he retired recently and he bought mobile home parks. He owns three here in Florida. You should go have lunch with him. He's just a cool guy. And I went to have lunch with Randy for no reason other than just expanding my network. That two hour lunch with Randy, we talked about 2008, talked about the crash, talked about, you know, multifamily and kind of my plan to rebuild. And he said, why have you ever considered mobile home parks? And he said, I don't know. I just, one of those asset classes I've, I've never considered. Back then it was under the radar. Nowadays, it's like the next, it's the, the big flavor, right? And that multifamily, but you know, back then it was not. And uh, he just intrigued me with many different aspects of it. You know, one of the big ones being much lower turnover, you know, much easier management because most of the residents own their own homes. It's really expensive to move the homes out of the park. And so you don't, you don't get the, you know, 40, 50% turnover on an annual basis like you might get in a in an apartment complex. Uh, just a litany of factors. And it intrigued me enough to where I left that meeting and said, I need to go buy a mobile home park. I need to either approve or disprove like, you know, all these things that Randy has to say. And so that's kind of my introduction. That, that's why mobile home parks. And, you know, again, back then it was, it was a much more fragmented niche than what it was today. What it's become today, there's lots of institutional capital trying to pour into the space, uh, billions upon billions of dollars. And back then that wasn't the case. And so back then it was very much a mom and pop industry, very fragmented in nature, and which lent itself to a lot of opportunities. And multifamily, there's always been lots of institutions in that space but even more so over the last decade. And so multifamily is already being consolidated back then. Mobile home parks, not so much. And so I just saw a great opportunity there. I saw that it was, you know, somewhat of a contrarian investment. It was going against the herd. You know, the herd was running the other direction, buying multifamily, buying single family properties that were in distress. We really hedged our bets on, on mobile home parks and I'm glad that we did. Yeah, so you saw a great opportunity and you saw less competition and why not? That's <laughs> a great time to jump in, right? Uh, you know, would you say that now? I mean, knowing what you know about mobile home parks, right now and you know the listener that's saying you know what I'm, I'm trying to figure out which asset class I'm going to be laser focused on would you consider mobile home parks today I try to answer this as straightforward as possible there's a lot of capital pouring into the space there's mobile home parks have a, a unique aspect to them which has pros and cons associated with it and that aspect is it's the only asset class that has a diminishing supply and so there's no new supply or less new supply coming on market than supply that's getting either redeveloped or torn down or shut down for whatever reason the numbers are dwindling again I'm not going to go into details of why why that is, but just basically new mobile home park supplies aren't coming to marketplace. However, you've got more capital trying to pour its way in here. And a lot of that capital trying to get into the sector, especially the institutions of private equity, they have a, a much lower cost of capital than that of guys like you and I, Whitney, you know, just the, the typical professional investors. Their cost of capital is much lower than ours, meaning that they can be much more aggressive with buy prices. They don't have to you know, get a 250 basis point spread between going in cap rate and the, the interest rate. They're okay probably with a 100 basis point spread, which is razor thin for the majority of us, right? And so it's created a lot of challenges in buying quality communities. Now, those institutions aren't going after the, the 30 space communities and secondary tertiary markets. And so I think there's still opportunity there for this smaller investor that wants to get in and buy a couple assets. As far as getting into the space and looking to deploy, if you're saying, hey, I want to open up, a, I want to start a syndicate and, and I want to raise 50 million or deploy 50 million of equity into the mobile home park space, you're going to find it quite challenging to do, at least to do it at, you'll offer you sufficient returns for your investors. It's just, again, a lot of demand, increased demand, limited supply. It just, there's a major imbalance that are happening right now. You know, about a year and a half ago, we followed Green Street data and multifamily had always historically traded at lower cap rates than uh, the manufactured housing. You know, I think, you know, back kind of halfway through the pandemic, you know, multifamily was trading somewhere on, on average across the board, like, a, you know, 4.1 cap, 4.2 cap, something like that. At some point, manufactured housing actually dipped below that. Manufactured 
housing, it dipped below the four cap mark across the board as far as average pricing. Now, those are more than likely class A assets and prime markets, but come very challenging to buy anything at the right price. So I don't, I don't want to discourage anybody. You know, if you think that you're going to go out and you're going to buy a 150 or 200 unit uh, mobile home park in a primary marketplace and you're going to buy it at six cap, it literally doesn't exist. And I don't want to be the negative Nancy, but that literally doesn't exist. That that park will trade more than likely probably at a four cap today, even with rates where they're at. Watch one trade the other day in, in Birmingham or um, Huntsville, Alabama. And it was a B plus, you know, nothing fancy, no amenities. And it traded for a sub four cap. That's very challenging to make money, at least with the type of uh, money that that you and I have from our investors, from retail accredited investors. It's very challenging to make money in that space. You mentioned that you follow Green Street data. What is that? What does that mean? Yeah, it's just they're a conglomerate that compiled data, you know, across all the you know various different asset classes of commercial real estate. And they follow the sales trends and the, you know, the growth trends, new supply coming on market, things of that nature. So I mean, it's probably the most highly respected data in the commercial real estate world. No, that's great to know. I get tons of questions about where to find things like that. For example, you already got a lot of information on like multifamily. So Green Street, basically, I mean, they are the go-to when it comes to all the food groups in the commercial real estate world. And they have specific data on manufactured housing. They've got it in industrial, office, retail, hospitality, uh, all those. Okay. No, that's great. That's a great resource. Uh, how can the listeners get in touch with you? And also, I, I know you, you've you re- written another book. Tell them how they can get their hands on that book as well. Yeah, absolutely. Th- thanks, Whitney. Yeah, if you can see it on my shelf back here, if you're watching the video, it's called The Cash Flow Investor, You know How to Create Legacy Wealth uh, Through Commercial Real Estate Investing. I just launched the book about a month and a half ago. You can buy it on Amazon for $20, or you can just go to my website and I've got a free copy up there for a period of time. Let's go to uh, kevinbupp.com forward slash free book and grab a copy of that. And so you can also contact me through my website, kevinbupp.com. Just go to the contact me page. And that's where I host my podcast as well. And if you want to learn about what we've got going on uh, as far as in the investing world through our company, Sunrise Capital Investors, you can go over to investwithsunrise.com. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.